HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes.
Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are with Bob Oswax uh, in the beautiful, idyllic uh, Los Alamos, sitting at Bob's Wells Bread Bakery, where you are the owner, brand manager, baker, visionary of a incredible French bakery where you would least expect to find one. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, growing up, did you ever think that you would be a, a baker, let alone own a bakery? No, never thought it, and um, never thought I'd work in food service um, at all. And you know, I had lots of jobs growing up, always in retail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I managed and worked in you know clothing stores, and I managed a movie theater. I worked for Jack Lalanne. You know, I was always doing something. I was always working, but never, never had a, a single job in the food industry, and, and really never thought I would end up in it because my I didn't grow up in a foodie household either. My mother never cooked a meal in her whole life. I don't think every meal we had, ate was either out or she brought in prepared food. But you know, so I didn't have a a nurturing background as a as a way to ease myself into the hospitality industry. I mean, let's go back a little bit because before the baker, uh, this is actually sort of a, a very amazing second act America classic story because you had a whole other career yes. before this uh, in the entertainment business. Right. Um, and you first started working with, one of the first people who worked with, Norman Lear. Right out of college, I, 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 I was working at NBC training to be a unit manager, a real financial position. Um, I'd moved out from, I'd grown up in New York and went to high school on Long Island. And as soon as I graduated in 1980, packed up my car and drove cross country because my passion was really to work in entertainment, mm-hmm. movies and television. And what year was this? 1980. So was New York not what it was? Because now like New York is sort of like, oh, you could do entertainment television there. Oh but... yeah, you could do anything in New York now. But then? Then, you know, you know, no, it wasn't as much then. It wasn't a entertainment mecca like it is now. Uh, there wasn't as much production sure. in New York. There wasn't as much distribution or things like that. But I was just enamored with Hollywood and wanted to work in the entertainment oh, yeah. industry. So I packed up my tramps, bit fire, and drove cross country, and got this job at NBC right away. But you know, I wasn't being a financial person wasn't the direction I wanted to go, and I saw myself as more creative and I really had a degree in marketing so I wanted to work in marketing in the entertainment industry and and really through some networking which I always think is a strong thing to do Um, but I met some people that worked for Norman and got an interview and they were looking for a um, sort of a somebody that they could groom through the company that could do what at the time was called advertising and promotion. Sure. Um, um, so I, I got this job with absolutely no experience, but having had a degree in it, and, um, was marketing, you know, working with them, marketing classic Norman Lear comedies, Maud, Sanford and Son, Good Times, All in the Family, The Jeffersons. Um, so so essentially the iconic run of yeah. shows, uh, when you think about like the you golden know. age of TV. Oh yeah, like yeah, that. segued yeah. into you know, uh, different strokes, facts of life, and who's the boss, and shows that are iconic now on places like TV Land or things like that. And 
and even being rebooted like Norman did a um, Hispanic um, reboot of One Day at a Time for Netflix. So, um, But I did that for 30 years. I went from Norman Lear and then I worked at Paramount for a while. I worked on Entertainment Tonight and Cheers and Family Ties and things like that. And then went to Orion Pictures and you know launched Cagney and Lacey and Hollywood Squares. Ended up at Sony. Um, uh, there was a brief stint of five years or or so living in the UK working for a um, UK media company called Pearson where I was marketing all of their TV shows all over the world. Um, they're now called Fremantle but they became best oh, yeah. known for um, Idol, American Idol yep. and all the variations around the world as well as soap operas, game shows. and. I mean they're, one of, they're a player. One yeah, of the they're biggest. a player. So during this whole time I mean there must have been good food and wine and things like that involved. Oh yeah, all the time. Because, yeah. you know, of that era, there was still budgets for the winding and dining of the entertainment world. Of course, and then, you know, having spent the, the I worked for Pearson for almost a decade, five of those years living in the UK and spending a lot of my time traveling to Spain, Germany, Australia, Japan, um, uh, a lot of time in the south of France. Um, and so food and wine became one of my big passions as a consumer, but not as a, you know, not as, as a maker. A, not as a maker. But did you find when you were on the road that you were drawn to that a little bit more than maybe your colleagues? Like you were like, oh, we got to go to this thing. We got to have this wine. We got to have this food. And the people you work with were like, we're just, what, it's just dinner. Well, I think everybody went along with it. Sure. I, it was probably, you know, I, I wasn't like the Pied Piper of, of, you know, of food and wine, but it became a feature of everything we did, you know. When, when, you know, we had lunch in the south of France. We went and had a nice lunch, and we had some great, you know, you know, uh, a beautiful rosé sitting on the beach in, in Cannes or yeah. Monte Carlo and going, seeking out great food and things like that. So It just became part of, yeah. part of it. Uh, yeah, some people eat to live and some people live to eat. And I think I was a live to eat kind of a guy. I mean, I don't really know any other way to live, uh, but I absolutely agree that's sort of the best way to uh, approach life. Now, after 30 years, 32 years uh, in the entertainment industry, you around 2011, you just you decide to make a change, or you want to get out of the. Well, sometimes the, the change is made for you, and sometimes you make the change. But in 2011, I got downsized out of Sony. They were, um, you know, went through several years of downsizing different areas of the sure. Sony family um, family just because they were trying to control margins for all their electronic products that weren't selling like they should anymore right you know apple came and you know displaced the walkman with the ipod and displaced you know with their their laptop displaced all the sony things and everybody was making better cheaper television sets and so you know they became this sleeping giant but that it wasn't the must-have you know, I have to have Sony or nothing. Right, there was um, no new Walkman yeah. or something like that. So, um, you know, several years in a row I was laying off people that I had to cut budgets by. And then one year they said to me, I think we've got a better way to cut the biggest piece of pie out of the budget. Right. So they laid me off and they took care of me on the way out. And I 
I really just had to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And one of the first calls I got was from Norman Lear, who I stayed close with over the years. Which and, is amazing. And we were we were actually working a bit together because I was overseeing the launch of his entire library on DVD. Mm. Um, Sony had me, even though I was in the television division, they, they had me as the brand manager for all of our TV product overseeing how things went out on the DVD. So I did that for Seinfeld and I did it for Gary Shandling and I was doing mm-hmm. it for Norman. And but he called after I, you know, got laid off and he said, you know, how, how long have you been in the industry? And I said, 30 some odd years. Yeah. And he said, how long have you been in this job? And I said, 11. And he said, you know, just from me to you, life isn't about always doing the same thing for your whole life. Mm-hmm. And it's not about, you got to like creatively shake things up look at this as an opportunity to say what else do I want to do and, and at the time it was like okay thank you but I do have you know a family, a family right it's like I've oh that's a daughter great. at NYU and yeah you know houses and you know expenses but you know I appreciated the uh, the place it was coming from now did you immediately when did food start coming into your mind as a, as, a, as a new route for your life? Was it immediate or did it, was it a no, slow burn? No, it wasn't burn? immediate, but here's how it started. Um, when we lived in the UK, my wife was obsessed with Jamie Oliver, the naked chef. I love, and, love him. And she used to watch his show on, you know, the, our UK TV. And he had in his back garden this amazing brick oven that was a wood-fired oven that he did a lot of things with. And my wife, when we came back to L.A., we had this wonderful house in Hancock Park. She said, I really want an oven like that. And so one year for our anniversary, I, I had someone build it. I had a mason come and build this oven, which I gave him. We took screen grabs off the TV of what his oven looked like. Amazing. A brick, round, domed oven that had what they call a... Um, Texas twister or a Tennessee twister the chimney was a straight you know it was a chimney that was a curly cue yeah it went in a twist and so we hired this mason and he built it and it very quickly became one of these things where it became mine right because you needed like a you know a boy scouts four year degree in fire building to get the fire lit and to keep it going and and it was just you know an all day thing because you got to get the oven going. You start with small twigs and paper and it's fire starter, and then you go to larger twigs, and then you go to branches, and then you go to then you go to logs. Yeah, and it's funny because whenever you see someone cooking on a fire at a restaurant, who knows what they're doing, it looks so effortless. It's like, oh, I'm just going to toss another log on, and no. it's like, no, 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 no. That is years and years of understanding to look at the fire, and be like, I need to do this and add this, this and, log, and, 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 and then being there all day to get it up. You know, it's like yeah. you get your oven up to 800 degrees. It takes two minutes to make a pizza, and then you're done. Right. But you say to yourself, well, there's this gradual build of the heat in the oven. What else can I make? Right. As it's getting warm, I can make my sauce. I can, you know, fire roast some chili pepper oil. I can roast a chicken and we can do this we can do that I can you know blister some tomatoes or whatever it's going to be then you do your pizza and then you're letting your oven cool down that's when you can do other things and one day I just said you know I made my pizza and I had some extra dough and I 
formed it into what I thought was a bread. And I sure. closed the oven. I said, let's come back in the morning and see if I made bread. And it came back and it was just like a, a risen baked wad of dough, but it was hardly a loaf of bread. Um, but that is when I said, and I had this time on my hands because I was um, waiting for headhunters to return my phone calls. And they'd call back and they'd say, well, you have this great career, but you know, you're... You're not going to get that job again because you're 50. You know? Right. So I, I, you know, I just started buying books and making more bread. And um, one of my friends, Clark Staub, who owns Full of Life Flatbread, and used to own a bakery in Claremont. Right down the road. Right down the road. Uh, uh, gave me a copy of Tartine Bread. Legend. Legendary. And I'd read other books until that point, but he gave me a copy of Tartine and he gave me some of his, you know, very um, ancient starter and said, here, you know, there's nothing as comforting and as soothing to your soul as making bread. And it's nothing as gratifying as taking something that's made of these most basic ingredients of flour, water, and salt, and through this process of fermentation, watching them become something wholly different. And I, I, you know, I inhaled the book because it really resonated with me. And the first loaf of bread I made with a starter changed my life. And what type of bread did you make? I made a panel of an, which is, you know, a, a country bread. 85% white flour, 15% whole wheat, um, long fermentation, organic flour, just flour, water, and salt. And it and turned into this beautiful... turned into this beautiful loaf of bread, even with, you know, very rudimentary scoring and you know just my first thing and people's you know I gave it to people different people and they said this is the best bread I've ever had so I, you know then I set out on this journey of like all right whether it's early or late or hot or cold or humid or dry what are the different variables conditionally that I need to worry about how do I make it consistent and so I just you know set off on this passion and this obsession to make bread well we're going to take a quick musical break and we're going to talk about that journey and that passion and how you took that uh, backyard oven and turned it into this uh, legendary restaurant here in Los Alamos we have a musical track from our archives here on Snacky Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are talking with Bob of Bob's Well Bed Bakery. Sorry. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're talking to Bob of Bob's Well Bread Bakery here in beautiful Los Alamos. Um, so you you started on this journey. You started making bread. You're sending it out to people. Um, was there any sort of life skills that you had picked up in the entertainment industry and sort of your dedication to that craft that you were applying to making bread? Or is this a whole separate new journey in your life? Separate new journey, but I would say my 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 years as a marketing executive and a branding executive really enabled me to figure out how to build my own brand. Sure. Um, so that's been invaluable to me, and I think that's what sets me apart from other similar businesses or other businesses too. Just um, understanding my brand, how to manage it, how to promote it, and how to make sure that there's a consistency to my brand. So that anytime anybody gets a loaf of our bread or one of our croissants or one of our dishes, um, they never have to wonder, why is this bread different this time? Why is this croissant different? Why is this dish different? There's always a level of artisanal consistency every time. So. In getting that started and learning, because the bread you're making now is obviously different than the bread that you started making when you first got started. How did how did you get that started? I mean, obviously you had full of life flatbread who was helping you get off the ground, but how did you take it from the backyard into something more professional? Well, I, I decided that, uh, as I said, I became passionate and obsessed with it, and I thought, well, I can't just be book smart about this because I, I, I had a thought in my head at that point I said you know maybe Norman was right maybe life isn't about doing the same thing maybe maybe this is you know telling me that I should be looking at something else so I decided I wanted to do a bakery but I also decided I need to know more than just making this one loaf of bread so I enrolled at the San Francisco Baking Institute up mm -hmm. in San Francisco and I took all of their bread making courses mm -hmm. they do offer a professional program that's 13 weeks, but I opted to go a week at a time. I don't think I went 13 times, but maybe about a 10 maybe 10 weeks I spent up there, um, and taking their you know baguettes and sourdough and ancient grains and patisserie and viennoiserie and gluten free, and I took all these courses there, and um, and I also at the same time started working on a business model. Mm. I hired someone to help me write a business plan. We spent two years meeting once a week for about two or three hours. And every week, we'd go over a homework assignment he'd give me the week before, but we did this every week for two years. And what that really became, all those homework assignments, not that I understood it at the time, but they became a working narrative for writing a business model. Mm. Of, you know, who are my customers? What is my audience? What are my zones of influence? What, you know, who are, where are people buying bread? How much are they spending on food outside the home? What is the median income in the surrounding 50 to 100 miles around Los Alamos? All these things really helped write a narrative so that when I finished and had this 60-page business plan and I took it to a bank, they were like, wow, we've not seen something this thorough. Right. But how did you land on Los Alamos? When did you start coming up here? We bought a house up here. My wife and I... Um, we're looking for a vacation property just to get out of L.A. and sure. come up and drink wine and hang out on the weekends. And we bought a house in Los Alamos in 2001, right after 9-11. We just moved back from the U.K. and I was started working at Sony and I had some extra, you know, finances. And 
wanted a place just to get out of the city and hang. And, um, you know, just through a series of events, we ended up in Los Alamos, and um, it was definitely before the resurgence and renaissance it's had now as a food and wine destination. Los Alamos, well, yeah, 16 years ago. Here, yeah. it, it was like literally tumbleweeds rolling down the street. Yeah. Um, but we just liked the, um, the country quality and that it was off the grid a bit. And um, so we knew that when we wanted to open the bakery, we knew Los Alamos was perfect for a couple of reasons. A, we knew the San Inez Valley. We didn't want to do this in L.A. because there's not a bread culture as much, or there wasn't then in L.A., and now there's a growing one. Yeah. Um, but the beauty of Los Alamos, if you're... You know, if your listeners have never been there, is it's exactly halfway between Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo. It's the only town in the San Inez Valley where you can get on and off the freeway and through the town in about 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. So it's a convenient stop for everybody going north or south, easy to get on and off, and it had the opportunities that some of the more established towns around here didn't have. So once you decide on the town, once you have your business plan, um, and you're baking this whole time while you're developing your business plan, when did you finally feel ready to open up the bakery? Well, I we moved up here. Uh, we sold our we made the commitment to moving up here and sold our house in L.A. and you know sold the house that we had here because it was a one bedroom like weekend cottage. Sure. And bought a house and decided to move up here in 2012. Um, and you know I went into it right away because you know I, I got up here and I said well I, you know I'm going to come up here and open a bakery I have to make it happen yeah so I was still taking courses at SFBI um, telling everybody I wanted to be a baker um, Clark from Flatbread actually said to me look I need a lot of bread for the restaurant um, and we use a lot of bread for some of our courses and I do a lot of catering and I need bread so why don't you come in and use my wood fired oven and make all the bread I need, and in exchange, you can use my oven and build your customer base. And I did that for a couple of years while I'm still working on the business plan and everything. But during this time, we identified this property and bought it. Yeah. I hired an architect and a contractor, and we dealt with the county on getting permits, and and really began this journey of building a bakery. Now, for people who haven't been here, it's a gorgeous building. Uh, what was the history of this building? What was it? What did you do to turn it into a bakery? Um, it started off its life um, in the turn of the 20th century as uh, the Shady Rest Cafe and Cabins. Mm -hmm. It was a two-pump filling station, small cafe, and there was, you know, two dozen little sleeping cabins. It was very um, James Kane, like, you know, <laughs> Postman Always Rings Twice. Yeah. And that, and that, you know, earlier part of the 20th century, you had these little gas station, cafe, motel kind sure. of properties. Sure. You didn't go that far in a tank of gas, so you, you stopped, you filled up, you had a bite to eat, you slept, and the next day you go right. another hundred miles or whatever. And um, it was that gas station for many years, and then it became a small country store. Um, it was called the Drum Canyon General Store. It sold groceries and fruit and vegetable and if you look outside you can still see the signage painted on the original plaster oh, yeah. that says fruit and vegetables and groceries um, and then it became of all things as, as did many of the buildings in Los Alamos it became a Hells Angels biker bar and it was that way for decades it was a rough and tumble 
biker bar. Um, pictures we have in the bathroom showing the, the, the journey the building's been through. I mean, you know, complete with pool table, stripper bar, jukebox. Sure, you know, classic. Hell's Angels. And at some point, um, I'd say at the turn of the 21st century, they lost their license and they moved somewhere else in town. Um, and the building sat vacant for a dozen or so years. And we came along and purchased it in 2013. And so, now that you're open, now that you have this bakery, you know, you're essentially the only bakery for X amount of miles, right? And you can yeah. have any sort of standards you want as the only bakery in town. But you come in here and you could arguably hold up this bread to any bakery in America, if not the world. What made you set these standards? What made you want to go that extra mile to have... You know, such a, 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 a level of, of quality. Well, I think that's just the way my wife and I operate. You know, if you're going to do it, do it right. Mm -hmm. um, I had a sense of the kinds of breads and pastry I wanted to do, having learned from um, a professional school of, 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 at San Francisco Bakery Institute, studied under some great bakers and the owner of the um, school, um, Michelle Suas. Actually, I became close with Michelle, and um, you know he joined me, and I hired him as a consultant to design the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So he worked with my architects and did this overlay, so that we would actually build a bakery that made sense. Yeah. Knowing that, how much bread do you want to make on a daily basis? How many pastries determines, and how much wholesale do you want to do? All that helps determine. The size of your oven, the placement of your oven, the size of your mixer, how much um, storage you need, how much space you need for proofing and retarding and all that. So I, I really had a leg up on designing the right space. Um, but, you know, I, we just had this vision that we wanted to create a quintessential um, European-style bakery where you, you know, and, no one ever expects it to be here. No. So, so that is what just draws people in. And if you come off the highway, it's like the first thing you see and you go, you go, oh, a bakery. And then you go, oh, fine. Oh, cool. Well, a you get the people that stop across the street to fill up their tank and they think they're going to get a bite to eat at the sandwich shop there, yeah. which, you know, Subway. And then they look across the street and they see bakery painted on the side of the building. And then they see all the cars. I mean, it's, in, it's And they think, well, there's something going on down there. I think we need to check that one out. I mean, I will say this. When we, when we walked up this morning, I was like, this is probably the biggest gathering of cars I've ever seen in Los Alamos that happens any time. Yeah. So, you know, as you are now a few years in. Three, just over three years. Just a, three years in. Um, and it sort of is this like second America's second act and you're this bakery now when it's established it's not this like oh I'm baking in my backyard and people like my bread and it, it's a restaurant that has recognition how does it feel to compare to having this previous career and now you're on to the second part of your life well it feels very rewarding and I, I've said this before um, the most rewarding part is that people so appreciate what I do, what we do here. It's not, it's not a one-man show by any stretch of the imagination. I have a hugely talented chef, some hugely talented bakers. I have a head baker that's 
highly skilled. I, you know, some an assistant head baker, some assistant bakers, and and me, and you know, we're here from four o'clock in the morning. You know, getting things started. Um, every day is a new chance to do it all over again. But we're feeding people's souls. You know, they're you're 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 making a difference in people's lives. The woman who comes in going through chemo because she loves our croissants or the little kids that were infants in their parents' arms when the parents first started coming in that come in now and, you know, they want croissants and they're three and a half years old and they know me and um, and just all the neighborhood people or we, we do people's weddings and we do people's memorials and, um, you know, bread is one of those great devices that has been around for centuries but it brings people together around the table and we become part of people's lives because of that and they appreciate us we appreciate them because they keep coming back the best I could possibly get out of Sony was you know a producer would say wow you did a great job Bob you know pat on the back or my boss would say great job and I get a bonus but there wasn't a huge soul-satisfying sense of what I was doing anymore. Well, all I can say is congratulations. I know that my wife and I and everyone who we bring here love it. Um, and what's the future? What do you see? What would you want to do with, uh, with the bakery? Do you just, you know, I mean, obviously you serve this community, but do you see beyond? Do you see just staying in Los Alamos forever or an expansion or anything like that? You know, it's one of those, be careful what you wish for. Um, this is a, it's, it, after three years, we've finally gotten to the point that, you know, take, sometimes we can take a day off. Yeah. And certainly take an afternoon off. Um, and I've got good people that I have learned to trust. Yeah. Um, um, but it's not easy. It's a, it's, it's a hard business. It takes yep. a lot of our time and it's a roller coaster. Um, I'd love to say I see some growth and some expansion in the business, but it's got to be the right growth and the right expansion. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm a huge part of the business, so I have to figure out how how I could figure it out, and so that I don't. Um, I don't want to. I mean, I've got a great thing going on here. I don't want to screw it up by being greedy and thinking I can make it twice as big. Of course, and it's yeah. always nice to know that when you're going to come in, you're the guy who's taken my order yeah. or anyone else's order. It's so refreshing to see because yeah. you don't see it. Like, you know who Bob is, because Bob is the guy who greets you. Yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you. If people want to find you in real life or online, where could they find you? We're everywhere um, at Bob's Well Bread. So it's, uh, we're on Facebook at Bob's Well Bread. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter, Tumblr. Um, and yeah. Come to Los Alamos. Come and, to Los Alamos. And, and come to Los Alamos, you can your Airbnb as well. Yep, we've got an Airbnb. We've got two beautiful cottages out back. And um, they include coffee and pastry in the morning and a baguette and a bottle of wine when you check in. Oh, that enough alone. Well, Bob, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, we have another track from our archives coming up and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org. Wow, 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 wow,
episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. 
After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollock scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. Welcome back to Nike Tunes. You want to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Juliana Barwick. I'm Nimai. <laughs> I'm, I'm backing up the lovely Juliana Barwick. Nimai is one of my best friends, and she, um, she's in Prince Rama, which is one of the best bands in the entire world. Stop. <laughs> just like, keep going. Uh, so I have to say that your music is some of the most beautiful music I've ever heard. Um, when Hannah sent it over to me to be like, oh, would you ever consider this for the radio show? I was like, absolutely. And then, when, yeah, first it was duh. And then, <laughs> then I was like, it's like very specific. And then when the Iceland, I read about you recording in Iceland and Sigurd Ross, and I was like, oh, now it begins to make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a match made in heaven, I think. Yeah. Um, when were you over there? Um, spring 2012. Amazing. What's yep. it like being over there, just recording music and being in the wild? It's it's um, surreal. I was every day. I was like pinching myself, like, "Wow, you are in Iceland and making music. Life is grand." How did that uh, like friendship start? Alex sent me an email. Alex Summers, um, who ended up producing it. Um, Alex of of you know Yonzi and Alex and. Um, but Alex has done a bunch of different things. He's started producing for more people, and he's done a lot of like mixing and recording for Sigaros and all of their like satellite projects. Um, so he sent me an email. It was just like, uh, we love your music, and we would love to do something with you one day. And I, like- I ran a few laps around the couch, and then I was <laughs> like, woo! Yes, and I sent an email back, and and we just talked all year. That was 2011, so we talked all year long and made plans for me to come over and and do it. Uh, how many times you have to re- did you have to rewrite that email? Um, actually, it was like a total knee jerk reaction, and I just said yes with like 15 exclamation points. Yeah, I was points. about to ask how many exclamation points. Yeah, I was like, I'm not, I can't control the nerdiness. I'm just going to let it flow. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's better just to not, to like not play it cool. Just be like, fuck it. Yeah, they're going to find out anyway. So, <laughs> Like two minutes in, like, you're going to be like, your knees will be shaking. Like tears running down your face at the airport. Just being like. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I responded just instantly. As soon as I saw the email, I just responded. You're like, cool. Even, I can't even imagine getting, like, just be like, oh, let me check my email and just getting. Yeah, that was that was one of the biggest ones ever. So. Oh, were there others? A um, <laughs> couple others. Um, but, yeah, I up until that point, all my solo-y stuff was, like, bedroom recordings with no one watching or listening or anything at all. Did they say how they found out about your music? Uh, nope. Hmm. And you never asked? 
Nope. <laughs> don't, don't push your luck. Okay. Don't push your luck. Just get in there. Uh, let's hear a song. Yeah, let's hear a song. Okay, cool. Um, so this first one is one half.
silent cheering. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was really great. This is like a perfect. There's like certain records that you like winter records. Mm. Like uh, I imagine like uh, nine degrees out and like bundled up and the sky is oh, purple. Come on. Come on, we're not there yet. No, but I'm saying when that happens. No. When that happens, I'm leaving. No, yeah. when that happens, <laughs> this record will be uh, on play. There's oh, just certain yeah. records that are like made for certain seasons. Yeah, I was kind of like, I mean, we we recorded it um, in you know spring of 2012, and it didn't come out until August of last year, um, 2013. I I kind of I felt like it was a wintry record yeah. but things happen and we had to release it in August but um <laughs> that's fine yeah that's fine. it's kind yeah. of wintry to me also so well for all the snacky tune fans out there they they can get this ready for winter yeah um you were saying before that was your mom on the backing track yeah oh what's the what's that about well um <laughs> she I mean she's has a beautiful, beautiful voice, and I grew up listening to her sing, you know, all the time. Um, so I... Had, was it professional, or she just had a good voice? Um, she just has a great voice. And um, she, I just always wanted her on a record. And I'd taken, like, my sister to Australia, and we were, like, in a city every day, and I took my dad to France and Portugal, Ooh. and we were in a city every day. And it was my turn to take my mom somewhere, but she's not kind of like a city-a-day kind of lady. Mm. And I just thought, this is perfect. She should go to Iceland with me um, and be on the record. And Was she there the entire time? No, not the entire time. I went twice, so she went the first time with me in February, and then I came back and did about five or six more weeks of work on it with Alex in May. Tough. Real it was terrible. The, the sacrifice. Did, I did mean. you delve into <laughs> Icelandic cuisine at all? Because they have some funky stuff over there. Um, not a ton. I just I saw signs a lot that was like, "Our special today is whale and puffin," and I was like, "Oh, that makes me want to cry." <laughs> they have this. I think it's like this rotten fish that they bury. Oh yeah, I can't remember what the name of that is. Lufthik? Something like that. Is I don't know. And they also, it, they also, they also so pony. It's, it's one step up from scrapple. Yeah. Yeah. This is like the fermented shark. Yeah. Fer- stuff fermented shark stuff. Yeah. And it's mm. like I've watched a ton of Anthony Bourdain over the years, and that's the one thing that he was like, I can't, I can't, no, like I'll eat anything else, like. It sounds terrifying. Yeah, so I don't know. Fermented I, I, shark. I'm sorry, I didn't get too 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 adventurous with the puffin or the uh, fermented shark. I don't even think you need to apologize. For that. I don't. I think I'm adventurous <laughs> either. And I think I would. Probably... You know, the, the upsetting thing is they serve the puffin with the head still on. No, oh, they don't. no. Get out of here! You're fired. So snack. cute. Um, and then you also had a children's choir on there, right? Which is like, um, that's a fancy way of saying <laughs> that. Um... You conscripted some children. <laughs> That's a fancy way of saying that uh, Goggy is the basis for Sigaros. He has a beautiful teenage daughter, and and she has some beautiful teenage friends, and they came to the Sungling studio, and we recorded with them for a day and paid them in pizza and ice cream. Yes. (laughs) That's all teenagers want anyway. They were stoked. They were like, yes. That's what they would have spent their money on. They would have, you just cut out the ordering. Exactly. Yeah. And they, they'd recorded on some Cigaro stuff too. So yeah, that's where the, no child labor laws in Iceland. I guess not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, should we hear another song? Yeah. Let's do another song. 
Cool. <laughs> I guess we can do that. What's this one called? This one is Crystal Lake. Crystal Lake.
Yeah. Me, my. That's a good like. Do you Ooh. wink? Do you wink a lot when you finish songs? I only wink at Juliana. Oh, <laughs> special friendship. Oh, yeah. How did you two meet? We met in Istanbul. Istanbul. Really? Yep. Both of our bands were playing together at this festival. Okay. What festival? I don't know. You remember? I think it was in a different language. Okay. I don't uh, remember. <laughs> uh, I think Bant Mag put it together. Okay. I can't remember the exact name of the festival, but... Um, it was so fun. It was so fun, and every... People in Istanbul are just freaking awesome, and that place is ridiculously wait. beautiful, and um, it was me and Prince Rama and Moon Duo and just mm. a bunch of like really, really Psyche. amazing people. Get out there. Yeah, it was fantastic. And then we just kind of like followed each other around. We were at North we were, by Northeast together. We were in and Australia then, together. And we did a we did like the Sugar Mountain Festival in Melbourne oh. and Mona Foma in Tasmania. We were just I was following them around a lot. How was Sugar Mountain? How was it? So yeah. That was off the hook. John Mouse mm. played. So and he I got, kind of fell in love with your sister, I think. Him and my sister had like we're talking forever. Yeah, they were uh, just fe- some festival love f- sessions. No, uh, they they are both like complete brainiacs. Mm. So they were just bouncing off of each other. It was like watching ping pong. Yeah, well, Julian and I just sit there and like wink at each other. Yeah, we're like, hey, I like your nail polish. <laughs> yeah, John Mouse and her sister were talking about like the universe. Yeah, <laughs> it went all over the place. And we're just like, cool, everything. <laughs> <laughs> so much winking. You blew an, I blew an eye out actually. <laughs> My falsies <laughs> fell off. <laughs> so, um, what what's next? Tours, musings, wandering um, around in a snow-filled New York City. Oh, I hope not. No, it's coming. It's gonna be brutal winter. I can feel it. Even worse than last one because I was I missed last year's winter Same. and everyone was like, "You're lucky you're not here because it just it was sucks a nightmare. Here. Yeah. nightmare. I missed it too. It just kept it wouldn't stop snowing. I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, it means I can listen to your album longer, but... Um, what's next for me is uh, fun, fun, fun. I'll be there. Oh, sweet. You want to hang out? Yeah, sweet. duh. How's your winking game, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. You have some time to work on it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, can't go out tonight working on my winking game for fun, fun, fun. <laughs> me and J-Bar are going to wink at each other. Wink. Um, fun, fun, fun. And then on November 20th, I'm playing a lighthouse um, on the cliffs of Norway. And that's real. <laughs> that is a real sentence. That is a real sentence. Yeah, and I get to sleep there. Wait, what is... what? <laughs> I don't even Alone. know. Alone. I, I must survive the night. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you survive the night, you can play a brunch set the next day. Exactly. Yeah. I, what what I is it? Wait. I don't, it's just like a one-off. Um, uh, just, it's a casual I'm, one-off. Yeah. I don't know. I'm playing La Guess Who, which is my booking, my Europe booking agent's um, festival that he does in Utrecht. Um, La Guess Who. And I'm doing the like 24-hour drone fest with like uh, William Basinski and um, a few other awesome people. You can stand for the whole thing. Probably not unless they give me treats. Yeah. <laughs> Like Red Bull? Five-hour energy drink? Uh, no, thank you. That stuff makes me... I haven't even ever tried that, because I know it would make my heart feel really bad. You never know until you try that's it. No, it, no, it, it, it makes me feel like my heart is sitting outside of my chest. Yeah. Like in a good way? I don't think Not I'd like that way. feeling. Look how cute this little girl is. This little my girl goodness. Oh, yeah. it's, 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 always, it's always the kids that can 
like looking. So cute. Yeah. Um, so that's November. And good. then December is just holiday time, hanging out with my little nephew and stuff. Where are you from? Um, I I was born in Louisiana, but my whole family's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And my sister just had the cutest baby in the world last Halloween, so that's where. Oh, do you know what the kid's going as this year? I think he's going to be Charlie Brown. Okay, uh, probably fine. has the right haircut. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to be too hard. He's going to get the shirt, and he basically looks like it. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we want to make sure we get one more before we have uh, Ben Stevenson. Um, but uh, where can people find you? Instagram, Twitter, Smoke Signals. Every. I mean, it's Juliana Barwick. Twitter, Instagram, website. No J Bar. Not J-Bar. not yet. <laughs> that's your future hip hop career. Yeah. Yeah, that's when I get the cover of Us Weekly. I'll be J Bar. <laughs> J bars, dirty laundry. When I start dating, um, who do I want to date? Zach Efron. Solid- <laughs> Harry Styles. Oh Styles. yeah, Harry Styles. Yeah. No one can see how much you're blushing on the radio. Even though he's like 20 years younger than me, no big deal. That's cool. Whatever. Yo. Yeah. It's never too late to be a cougar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can do that your whole life. <laughs> yeah. Get after it. Uh, so what's this last track you're going to play for us? We're going to do prize winning because it's drummy and that's what Nimi does. Also, my sister did a remix of this song. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a Matrimony Remixes uh, EP that I put out on uh, Asthmatic Kitty. And Love I that label. Like, Love I it. I feel like people don't really know about this Matrimony Remixes EP, but it's pretty dope. It has... Um, Tarika from Prince Rama did one, and Diplo and Lunas did one. My friend Brian did one. My friend Roberto did one. And is that their DJ names? My friend Brian. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty good though. Alias Pale, Elado Negro, Prince Rama, Diplo and Lunas is pretty dope. It's pretty. A great. Diplo guy, watch out for him. Yeah. Big things in 2015. Yeah, he's doing. He's doing okay he's for doing himself. Okay. He's doing fine. I think he's gonna be okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, that's the impression I get. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.